This podcast is brought to you by Equus Grooming Products, human-grade cosmetic ingredients. Wow. So, Joey, I could use these products on myself? You absolutely can. And you know what? It's easy rinsing. It lathers up real good. It's just clean, clean product. Hook me up. Okay, so I have a question here from David from New Mexico. And he wants to know, is it masculine to own a cat? Because he wants a cat, but he feels like that if he gets a cat, it's not masculine enough. So he, he's thinking about getting a dog, but his heart is ultimately going towards a cat. So I'll let you take this, and then I'll give you my opinion. Well, it's true. There is somewhat of a stigma in older generations that if you have a cat, you're a sensitive man and not a he-man, not a strong man. You're more sensitive. I think millennials have kind of changed that. Uh, in the 30 years ago, you would never see a single straight man with a cat. It just, it didn't happen. They had dogs. Now that cats are more understood, I mean, you've seen there's uh, rappers with cats on the in, on uh, Facebook and Instagram that have started this whole movement that you could be a, a person of color and hip and a rapper and have a cat because cats are considered cool now. So what's the guy's name? I forgot. David. Who New asked, Mexico. David, New Mexico, get a cat. They're easier. You don't have to walk them. You can if you want. Um, and you will attract women because women are attracted to a man that has a cat because they're considered to be more in touch with their feelings. Well, that's usually easy because if they're seeing the cat, they're probably in his house by that point. <laughs> okay, so the attraction's <laughs> already happened. But, you know, I... I don't know. I grew up I grew up with dogs and cats. I never looked at it that way. I've never looked at it that because um that, that women have cats and guys have dogs. I don't know. They're just pets. They were just pets and and it's 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 when people talk about this, I always find it so strange because it's just something that I never looked looked upon that way. Um I think cats have their own unique flavor and you know, I mean and and have their own unique personalities, which are different than dogs that, you know, add something more to the house or the apartment or whatever you live in. Well, I've dated men that say they've hated cats and they've never had a cat. Uh, and I thought, well, how can you say you hate an animal you've never had? And I've never had a guy uh, or a woman ever say I hate cats. I don't think I've ever known a woman to say that. Um I mean, I'm sorry. I've never known a woman to say, I hate a dog, I hate a cat. But I've heard men say, I hate cats, and never, I hate dogs. And when asked, have you ever had a cat? They've never had a cat. Yeah, that's... They might have had a... That's strange. That's just strange. Well, don't you think there's like some mystery with cats? And I truly feel you can't control a cat... And I think that says that you might have some controlling issues, control issues with you uh, if you're afraid of an animal that you can't control. Well, what's weird is, is you know, they, they dogs and cats both, 
I mean, they go back to pyramid times. I mean, there's, there's hieroglyphics of cats, you know, through the pyramid. So at some point, you know, um, they were revealed by by um, kings and 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 queens and and royalty and you know part of the family. So it's it's you know where did that change? Where did they not become cool for men? I don't know the history behind that. Cats are uh, useful. I mean, barn cats. There's people that go and get. Uh, cats to help keep rats and mice at bay that can live where they can go outside. You can train a cat. You know, my cat, Ricky, he surfs. He walks on a leash. He goes to meet children. He is a... What do you mean he surfs? How does he, he surf? Su- Where does he go down to the beach? Well, uh, the Lucy Pet Foundation has a surf machine uh, called the Wave Machine, and I've actually put him on the board, and he surfed on it. Cool. Yeah, I taught him that. He's trained, high five. You can train a cat. You know that some places have training classes for kittens, like, you know, doggy daycare, kitten care, um, training your cat. It's all how you approach them. You can make a cat be more like a dog if that's what you want. It's about getting them early and training them early. So the days of of um, men being nervous to have a cat are over. I think that's all been dispelled, and I have a lot of respect for men that, will go out and get a cat because they think it's easier to take care of. And, you know, they have less vet bells, and they live longer than dogs. And the shelters are full of them, so they need to be adopted. They need to be yes. adopted. And get two. Get two. Get a boy and a girl. Spay and neuter them. a boy and, and a girl. <laughs> That's what I always say. And spay and neuter them because they have... Did you know cats are induced ovulators? I don't even know what that means. So that means, and so are rabbits, when cats mate when they have sex the female ovulates every time they have sex so what are the chances of the cat getting pregnant it's high very high 100 percent. yeah so that's why there's so many cats cats and rabbits are both induced ovulators so you got to get your cat spayed or neutered because otherwise you're going to have lots of kittens excited and honored to have Brandon McMillan and I just found out he's from New Jersey so I have two Jersey boys today (laughs) on the show. Welcome Brandon. I don't know if it's going to work you got two of us in the house. Too too much testosterone. Uh, Can I handle the testosterone? Too much attitude and too much attitude and too much of the alphabet that's not uh, pronounced correctly. Yeah, but I think Doc can handle it. She, um, She has that tough woman posterior. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I can't compete with the Italian dialect, you know, of the Jersey side, so. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll let you listen to the podcast later and you'll see. (laughs) Oh, no. So, Brandon, you're doing Shark Week. Joey didn't know you did Shark Week. Tell us about how you got into that. Um, Well, I got into shark diving, let's see, it's got to be 13, 14 years ago now. And um, so... Once upon a time, a long time ago, back in uh, a couple hundred years back, I had a, a show on Animal Planet called uh, Night, and they uh, um, it was it was a popular show actually at the time. It, uh, but you know, as shows come and go, uh, uh, I went around the world and I filmed animals in the middle of the night, and so I did a lot of uh, night dives. 
one guy from Shark Week, his name is Jeff Kerr. He's one of the top producers. Uh, he saw me on the show and then he called me up. He's like, hey, I, I think I could use you for one of my shows. He saw that I... Uh, that uh, I would be good for, for you know, I guess one of his productions. So he put me on back in uh, 2013, a show called Great White Serial Killer. And now we've done uh, seven years of, of Shark Week for the same show, Great White Serial Killer. I've had, I've had a couple other specials on Shark Week, but Great White Serial Killer is my, my one that I typically do every year. So this year it's called Great White Serial Killer Extinction, where we're talking about how the, um, the California sea otters are getting taken out in mass numbers by the great whites and the great whites um apparently they're not hunting them they're all they're doing is killing they're just biting and biting and spitting them out and that's not very common for a great white because great whites typically wouldn't waste their their energy on something if they're not going to consume it because great whites work kind of like an iphone battery you know you the more you use it the more, the more it's drained and what happens is sharks need uh they need energy and if they if if they keep killing things without consuming the animal, there's no energy, there's no calories being uh, you know intaken. So they would they would drain their battery and effectively risk uh, put their own lives at risk. So it's very strange who, why they're doing it. What is a predator for the great white shark? Uh, well, besides humans, um, the only real yes. predator we have are are the only real predators the great whites have are the orcas. In fact, there's a place in um, South Africa. It's a very famous spot called Seal Island. Um, it's in False Bay, South Africa. And what it is, it's a, it's a small, uh, it's like a rock formation island in the middle of this big, huge bay. And the island itself is no bigger than like a football field, but it, but it houses thousands and thousands of seals. And, and it's, a, it's a massive rookery there. And so it's deep water around, around the, sea, uh, the island too. And so what happens is that's where the famous spot where the sharks, you see the video of them breaching. Typically, okay. typically they film those right there at Seal Island in wow. South Africa. But what happened, what, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, before I finish, so bef what happened a couple years back, a pot of, um, of orca whales came in and wiped out a few of the, uh, uh, the great whites. And what happened was the whole po uh, population of great whites in that area technically hasn't been seen since. There's a, there's a small resurgence happening right now, but it's nothing like it was years back. So the orca is, is the, I mean, you pe people, top, yeah, we always think top. like, oh, great whites have no, no enemies. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, they have the orca and the orca, wow. the orca. Now that's the one that really has no predators. Wow. I'll tell you what's funny um, that you're saying this is um, in New Jersey this summer has been unprecedented amount of great whites, but they're tagged. So they're able you know, to track them about yeah. two miles. Cause I, I live on the coast here about two miles from me is a um, park called Island Beach State Park where it was videoed just a couple of weeks ago of a great white taking out a porpoise um, that was probably about 20 feet off of the beach. Um, and the, um, the, the injured porpoise actually washed, washed in. And the same thing, they're saying the same thing that you just said, is they don't know why these great whites are killing and not eating. Um, they're just killing to kill. Did it not have a bite, a, a bite out of it? It was just a, it was just a bite mark, but not an actual a, a section of it consumed. No, it was, it was, it was bit all up. Um, part of the dorsal was taken out. Um, part of the body, it was blood washing in. Matter of fact, the video has been all over. It's been all over YouTube, but um, yeah, this only happened a few miles from from where I'm at. Well, that's interesting because cats. When my cats, they're full, they hunt. And they'll catch lizards um, and mice, but they don't eat it because they're not hungry. So I wonder if it's the same thing that it's just in their DNA, do you think, to hunt 
Um, but if they're not really hungry, they're not going to eat it. Well, believe it or not, um, well, two things I'll point out here. Joey just said there's an unprecedented number, unprecedented number of uh, great whites off the coast. Every single year from here on out, unless something dramatic, sub substantial happens, every year will be unprecedented numbers of great whites because the great white shark was put on the endangered species list back in, um, I think, 96. Don't quote me on that, but I believe 96. And ever since then, the numbers now have been able to rise. And so that's why we're seeing uh, a lot more encounters like up in uh, Cape Cod. There was somebody just killed in Rhode Island uh, a couple weeks ago. And that hasn't been they haven't had, uh, a, I believe, a shark attack in, in those waters in, in decades. I'm sorry, no, uh, Cape Cod just had one in 2018. But before that, we're talking we're talking decades. And so everyone's wondering, like, what, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you what's, what's going on. More sharks. There's more sharks because we've allowed them to actually uh, populate again. So once you, once you take the fishermen out of the water and allow these, these sharks to, uh, to popula populate the oceans again, of course you're going to have more encounters. And so it's not going to be... <clears throat> You know, I know it's big news every time we hear about it, but we're going to hear about it more and more. And it's going to it's just going to be like, uh, you know, weekly news at one point, because there's way more people in the ocean now, too. You got to remember, great white sharks, they were fished to almost extinction back in the 1960s and 70s. And so we're talking 50, 60 years ago. We've had good times in the ocean without without a predator of ourselves. And so now the chickens have come home to roost. The great whites technically have come home to roost. And it's there. And your your bodysuit I saw on your video because I've been watching it is is a different um, color, right? So that you don't look like a, a seal. Uh, that's is that is that that's, right? That's that's good. That's a complete um, that's complete BS. So they they do technically have these suits that they say that will be camouflage ish to a to a shark, and they won't attack. It's complete BS. The reason why my suit is is looks like kelp is because I'm also yes. I'm also a I spearfish. And so when I spearfish, I have to hide in the kelp. So that's the whole point okay. of that suit. That's okay. okay. So that suit would not protect from a great white attack. You have to remember great whites, they see silhouettes in the water. It doesn't matter what your, what your, <clears throat> um, what your body, what your suit is, uh, uh patterned, uh, you know, made of. And so you can have any color, any, you know, I don't care if it's black, white, pink, you name it. It could be any zebra stripe. That's why I was saying they have these wetsuits that they claim, you know, uh, uh, can prevent shark attacks. There's no true data. There's no true science behind it because they, great whites, they see a silhouette. And when they see a silhouette, they see it from, from, you know, 50 yards away, 60, 75 yards away. They don't go up and look at it. And then they decide what they do is if it's a full predation attack, they like to go deep and they watch the prey up there and they're making sure the prey is not on the move or it's not looking down. And once they see, they know they have a reliable attack where the chances are they will get the, uh, they will get the prey. Then they go at it full speed and then they, they just grab. It doesn't really matter what color it is, nothing. So this is why, this is why, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, this is why surfers get attacked and it doesn't matter what wetsuit you have on. Surfers, surfers have been attacked, black wetsuits, green, orange, pink, you name it. They've been, they've been attacked every color under the sun. Like sharks see a silhouette. Yeah. Very good information. So, I mean, are you like a thrill seeker? Tell, tell us a little bit about your background. Joey Villani didn't know that you came from a circus family, right? And training circus animals or tell yeah, us. Yeah, the enemy. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that story was cool when I was a kid. It's not so cool anymore. I still tell it though. So, um, yeah. yeah, my, my, my father and my uncle, they were, um, they were wild animal trainers in the circus. So I was, I was born and raised in that environment doing that, learning how to 
learning how to train animals. So, um, I, uh, I, that was when I was a kid. And then when I was 19, I moved to California and I started training animals for the movies. Cause I was like, well, that's, that's a no brainer. Let's move to Hollywood. I'll get a convertible BMW, put my glasses on, you know, I'll be like everybody else out there. And, uh, so I was, uh, I was, I was training animals for the movies. I did that for about 15 years. And the irony is, so, you know, circus eventually became frowned upon. So we left that life. Then we started training animals for the movies and people were like, yeah, that's so awesome. But eventually that became the new circus. <laughs> so that became the new circus. And so, you know, so here I am once again. So net, now <laughs> I train shelter dogs to become, ser- to become service dogs and therapy dogs for people in need. I wonder when that's going to be frowned upon. <laughs> Never. No. no I wouldn't say never because because <laughs> you know what happened? People would be like, oh, it's animal slavery. Animal slavery. You're forcing an animal to work, you know? Mark my words. I know it's going to happen. Uh, I know, and then so my whole life I'll be telling stories about, you know, what a horrible person I was when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> Grandpa, you were a terrible person your entire <laughs> life. How dare you? You know, can- cancel culture will, get, will be way worse when I'm in my 70s. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Um, um, I made a lot of money with the circus myself, but I was a backstage employee. I was one of the stages. Ringling Brothers came in. We made a lot of money. Um, but um, I remember, I remember when, when, when the, you know, when it went bad with the animal part, and we had um, protesters outside, and it, you know, it just, it just got uglier and uglier. But I have to tell you, I, and, and this is just my experience. I've seen those animals, and they were. From what I've seen, they were very well taken care of, um, from what I've seen. I'm sure there's abuse and everything, but um, from what I've seen, they were well taken care of. Yeah, so here's – this is see, this is where we always go down the sticky road of the conversation, which is where I love to – this is the area I love to go because, see, everyone that attacks me, all they've done is seen videos on the internet. They never lived inside that environment. I grew up in, inside that, that environment, and the irony is I've never seen any abuse. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so um, I'm not saying it hasn't happened because obviously I've seen the videos, but what I am saying is as somebody who actually grew up in that environment, seeing it day in and day out, and I knew everyone in that industry, I never personally saw it. So I can only tell you the stories that, um, that, that, uh, that uh, I've, I've actually lived. And so, um, so the bottom line is, like I said, they're, they're going to only show the, the bad videos on the internet. They're not going to show the good ones because I've seen way too many good moments, you know, of, of animals being treated way too well, people playing, you know, with the animals. It's, we used to, we would take our tigers, uh, one of the new, unique part of uh, things about what we could do um, when I trained animals for the movies was most movie trainers or most animal trainers in general, they keep their animals in cages. That's it. And so the animals, they literally get loaded from cage to cage to get to the location. We can actually walk them like a dog. We, we, we leash, we leash break, break all of our animals. And so we would take our tigers literally for a hike in the hills. We had a ranch in the middle of just nowhere. And so we would actually take tigers on walks, you know, and bears on walks. So we would like go hiking with our animals and say, you know, yeah. And so other, other companies can't say that. And so, so that's why it's funny. Every time I get attacked by, by these uh, keyboard um, conservationists, keyboard activists, um, they, it's funny how they don't understand. They don't understand how their mind works. They see, they see a, um, a uh, uh, like a sanctuary and they're like oh they're doing such good things this and that i'm like uh you think the animal knows any different the animal is in one cage or another whether it's a for an animal training company or a sanctuary that animal is still in a cage but your mind has told you the animal is happier in this cage and furthermore the most of those uh, actually all those sanctuaries they can't get the animals out 
they can't take them for walks like we can. We actually get them out and we actually, you know, we could take them on, we could take them uh, uh, on adventures. That's something they can't do, you know. Well, I, I wanted to just say, what what do you guys think of the the human animal bond and the evolution of dogs, you know, being in the yard to now they were moved into the house and now they're in the bed? Yeah. What, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, well, I mean, let's take it one step further. I'm now I'm almost out of the bed and I'm I'm being pushed into the yard and eventually I'll be I'll be out in the wild and my dogs will just pretty much take over my house. Uh but we'll stick with your point. Um Yeah, so believe it or not, without giving you too much information, that's what my um uh, I'm going to tease it very slightly. I'm writing a new book right now. It's it's technically about the evolution of dogs. And the 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 one thing I always I always found interesting and the one big gray area that we really don't know is how dogs were domesticated, exactly why they were domesticated. There's all kinds of theories, you know, and it's fun, like it's fun playing armchair quarterback and trying to think of why. But I guess the one that I would agree with most is the, is, is the idea of the um, of the uh, uh, the human looked at the at the wolf and they saw the wolves can do things that we cannot and furthermore, the wolves saw that we actually, you know, we could, uh, we actually had excess meat, this and that, and they would come and they would kind of scavenge off our meat. So it was almost like a, um, it was almost like a team effort of of how human and and dog became, you know, that's why they call it man's best friend. Or I'll say, I'll say human's best friend because I think man's best friends. Uh, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> and what's so, what's amazing how now we have like uh, grooming products. Um, with human grade ingredients, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. We have like um, just you know food that's human grade. We have uh, sprays. We have pills now for every problem that the dog has. Just like with people. Yep. Now they're advertising to the dogs, and um, well, because dogs have become dogs have become. They've actually um, talked about this, and and it's very interesting. Dogs are now the prerequisite to, to children, and so it's a good. I think it's a great, it's, it's good to actually understand how to take care of something if you're going to have kids and a dog is the perfect thing because, you know, if you can make that dog happy, if you can give the dog everything it needs, you probably do well with a human. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's, that's why dogs have become so popular and that's why people are almost humanizing their dogs nowadays because what's happening is the dog actually, it's, it is the kid uh, in their lives until they have a real kid. So I mean, do you think there's a danger, Joey, too? Do you guys think there's a danger to uh, humanizing them too much, um, making them be like a little person, Listen, not, not, a, not a dog? In my industry, in the professional beauty industry for pets, um, for me, I love it, you know, because I see dollar signs every time. Um, but no, to, to, <laughs> for to, selfish to, reasons, For yes. selfish reasons, <laughs> yes. but, Because my, my convertible BMW has never looked better. It does. And my dog sitting next to me in my convertible even looks better. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't know. You, when you talk to trainers and all, they say yes. Um, when, when you talk to the general family, um, I don't know. Over, I, I don't know over time in the past 25 years where the dog wasn't in the bed. So it's kind of like, you know, you can't keep him out anymore. You know, you try to keep him out. Matter of fact, when I roll over, I get bit because I'm disturbing them, you know. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, I don't know. That's how we love them. I don't I don't I don't know what to say about that. I can I mean, I could definitely I've I've got plenty of opinions on that. I always tell people I say I, I say, look, treat a dog like a king. 
or a queen, whatever. But also understand the fact that it's still it's still uh, technically you know they're this they're barely a half inch out of the wild. You know what I'm saying? They're still they're still wild animals. This is why they still they still do wild animal things. This is why a lot of dogs can be aggressive. This is why a lot of dogs you know lift their leg in the house. Everything is territory for them. So dogs understand basic. Dogs understand basic survival needs of life. We understand uh, like beauty products. We understand jewelry and things to make us, you know, look, uh, you know, look uh, uh, better on the surfaces and that, which really serves no survival purpose. But dogs, they understand just a few vital things. I'm hungry. I'm horny. I'm thirsty. That's kind of as as technical yeah. as it gets, and that's also as simple as it gets too. So, so the so everything a dog thinks of, it's it's basic survival. You know, a lot of things we think of, it's, it's greed and gluttony, you know what I'm saying? So we've, we've almost yes. evolved out of that, that survival instinct because technology has made us live a lot easier and a lot better. Dogs don't have that, you know, they have us, you know, but everything in their mind still is, is survival. So I always tell people, just always remember, look, treat the dog like a, like a king or a queen, but remember it's still, it's still an animal. It's, it, it need, it has animal needs, you know what I'm saying? Don't. And that's why when you have the baby that's been mauled by the dog and it just kills me because I think, well, you can't leave a dog with a newborn because of just just because of what you're saying, Brandon. And I always get uh, upset because I feel that it, uh, most dog bites are really the person's problem. What do you right? Yeah. Well, even so. It's really tough to say exactly because no one's ever, you know, sat there and filmed. I always, I always, people always ask me, you know, why does my dog do this as far as all this aggression? And I say, listen, I, I can't give you any opinions unless I see it for myself. Because I think it's a, it's very irresponsible as a trainer to give an opinion off something. You're just hearing a story. It's like the game of telephone. Um, but when it comes to, um, there are some, there are certain things that I can tell you, look, if you're, if you have a baby and you have a dog that's questionable, uh, number one, you have to test that dog for prey drive. Prey drive single-handedly is one of the one of the top reasons uh, dogs will, uh, you know, uh, capture and seize and and and, detect and pretty much kill if not kill another dog because they have prey drive. So prey drive exists in a lot of you know uh, different ways. Like Jack Russells, they're known for their prey drive, um, but typically you're not going to hear about a Jack Russell killing you know a, a, a smaller dog but there are right. but there are bigger dogs with plenty of prey drive okay now that without naming actual breeds because that's where you get thrown under the bus the fact is a lot of dogs are prey driven animals and if they have heavy heavy prey drive towards small prey or small game like for example um, if they're if they're you know vermin hunters i mean i got a flat coated retriever he's a vermin hunter i cannot take him for a walk because he or without without him pulling me, you know, straight down on, on the ground, because if he sees a, a rabbit, a, a squirrel, he's got heavy prey drive to those things. But he's very safe around kids. Doesn't have prey drive with kids, doesn't have prey drive with small dogs. Now, some dogs, they have prey drive towards different things. So some dogs will have prey drive to, towards little little toddlers, little tiny hands moving. Kids move different than, than adults. Um, some dogs will have prey drive towards smaller dogs, like Chihuahuas and Yorkies, you know. And so this is this is up to you to test your dog to see if it has prey drive. This is why I always say get a get an anti-aggression trainer and find out if they um, uh, you make sure they they know what they're doing in the in the in the, in the category of, um, of 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 anti-aggression I call it and check if your dog has prey drive and it have if it has prey drive towards small children it might be a bad match. 
you don't want to take you don't want to take that chance because we've all seen the news, we've all read the news stories, and I would never ever forgive myself um, if I actually had you know a baby in the house and I just I took the chance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a lot easier giving that dog to another family and saying, "Listen, you're going to have a good life here too." But I we can't take the chance, you know. And unfortunately, nowadays you're thrown under the under the bus if you rehome your dog. And I'm like, well, what if? What if the dog actually hurt that kid? That'd be thrown under the bus too. So I'll take I'll I'll take this bus instead of that bus. So Brandon, uh, uh, how, did Lucky Dog really change your life? Tell us a little bit about how you got that job and and what that was all about for you. Well, you got to back up to uh, um, got to back up to 2000. Nine, um, right after I, I lost my Animal Planet show, I decided I wanted to do um, a dog show. And originally the idea was called Death Row Dogs. And I pitched the idea um, for about a year and a half and it just, I got every door in Hollywood shut my face. They're like, it's a flop. It'll never work. It'll never work. And so I always, I'm always, I've, I've worked in Hollywood long enough to understand like the, the basic rules of Hollywood. Um, Hollywood, when they shut a door in your face, it doesn't mean the door is shut forever. It means it's shut that day. Hollywood is a very funny place to where um, one idea will not work today. But if you if you just hold on to your numbers, the Chinese say, you know, always pick your same numbers in the lottery and your lottery, your, your number will come up. I believe in the same ideas in, in Hollywood. So um, just because an idea is a is a flop one year doesn't mean it's going to be a flop the next. So um, so several years went by. Um, you know, I actually almost forgot about the idea. And what happened was uh, in 2013, CBS got rid of their um, Saturday morning cartoons that we all grew up on and loved. And they, because, oh, you know, kids nowadays, they got iPads and stuff like that. So they're, they're not, you know, they're not watching TV. That's what your grandpa did. And so, so, um, so uh, uh, Litton Entertainment, they came to me, they're the production company. And they said, they said, um, they say, you know, when we want to do a dog show, a dog rescue show, and so they came out and watched me work. They're like, what do you do? How do you do it? And so I showed them, I, you know, this is, um, ironically, I had some really good dogs right as they watched me work. I had a trick dog that did backflips. Um, I had one dog that used to dance. He sat on his hind legs and like, and like dance. Um, and I had a, um, a service dog for a veteran. Um, his his uh, legs were blown off in Afghanistan. So the service dog was going to do everything for him. So they came out and watched me work. Um, several times and, and that was kind of it. They're like, this is the idea. This is the show. This is so, this is so exactly what we're looking for on, on the network. And so, um, that was it. They slid me a contract the next day. I didn't even have to negotiate with that. They're like, this is the show you're, you're in, you're hired. And so that's how Lucky Dog was born. Well, I got to congratulate you because I don't think I've ever met anybody that doesn't love that show. It's, and I'm a fan. I mean, because I'm a shelter vet and Joe, I don't know if you've seen the show, but Brandon goes in and he picks these dogs in the shelter. And most of these dogs have a lot of issues. They have a lot of health problems. They have a lot of skin problems um, because they, they, you know, they've been abused. They haven't had flea and tick medicine. They're the ones and, that, they're the ones that, what people don't realize is um, when it comes to, to Lucky Dog, people think that I walk in this big, you know, sanctuary with any dog that I want. I'm getting, I'm getting the dogs that nobody wants because most of the rescues they go in there and they 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 get all the they get all the really adopt they what's called what we call adoptables, they get they grab all the adoptables because before peasants like myself can just walk in, 
and just uh, get the ones that nobody wanted. And so I'm always, I'm always selecting from the dogs that the rescues did not want. That's literally what I'm, what I'm dealing with. So that's why they, they have these problems. Yeah. And they have every problem under the sun from behavior to, 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 you know, health problems, hip problems. I've seen skin conditions. that will just, I mean, knock you on your, you know what? Yes. No, and the sad thing is we have such a great sponsor who has these great products that you can get over the counter now. Because I know Brandon always talks about, ugh, you're killing me as a vet. You know, we spend so much money with the vets, um, which, you know, people do. But you now have these great products over the counter where people don't have to get a prescription. Right, Joey? Well, have you used the Equus Microtech pet spray? It's an anti-itch. It's an anti-fungal. It helps um, hot spots. It's a pretty, pretty awesome spray. And like I said, it's over the counter. Um, we're excited because Equus is one of our sponsors. We love their products. They're human grade. And people, if they go to their website, they get a 15% discount by typing in Doc H. Pretty soon we're going to have Joey added to that. Right now it's just Doc, Doc H, I guess, because I don't have any tattoos. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, but the <laughs> website is equus.com, E-Q-Y-S-S.com. And, yeah, so, the, Brandon, the these it was transformative what you would – be able to do with these shelter dogs and I think that you know you have such a huge following because people it just shows what kind of heart yeah, you have yeah. that you know you you and I'm sure has it has it changed you um experiencing that as a person no not really I mean I've always been a recluse so <laughs> that part hasn't changed one bit <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey Doc, <laughs> do you know what's funny about all this so we lost our show also in 2009 and we pitched almost the yes. same exact show, except Oz had a dysfunctional family that went along with it that we were going to rehabilitate with with the pet. So maybe you know, maybe <laughs> we can all work on that one together. That sounds sure. like it might be a hit now. There's plenty of there's plenty of dysfunctional yeah, families out there looking for dogs. Yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we pitched us us actually having dogs on death row and these people living together, and and these kids had to get these dogs um, off of death row by working with them. And we all decided we'd live with them. And um, yeah, so, cause there's something about that. If you can rehabilitate a dog, I, th I think people are rehabilitatable and I think animals are rehabilitatable. What do you, what do you guys think? Well, yeah, but it also depends on the issue too. Cause like I said, I mean, if the, if the animal has prey drive, you can't rehabilitate. Yeah. The, yeah. No, you I mean, can't. that is a, that is a genetic, okay. that is, Full genetics inside their body. That's like taking a can of Coke and saying, well, pull the sugar out, you know. But you is can't. that, would you okay. consider that rehabilitation or just a new environment? Because I would consider that new environment because there's an environment where that dog could still live and have a happy life. Well, of course. I mean, yeah. Listen, there's, I always say what you can't train, you have to manage, you know. So in other words, if you have a dog with prey, you have a dog with Got prey it. drive, you can't stop that prey drive. And any trainer is saying, they can eliminate that prey drive. I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. I'll tell you that much because there you can't you can't do it unless you're doing it you're, unless you're doing it through aversive techniques like shock collars. But technically, you're not eliminating the prey drive. All you're doing is you're zapping it every time he looks in the direction of whatever he's going after. So there are certain things, and this is what I was saying in the beginning. People have to understand most of most of that dog, most of the most of the uh, the personality traits, most overwhelmingly are pure genetics, you know, especially when it comes to something like aggression. Aggression, 
you know, people, there's a big misconception out there that people think that just because a dog is aggressive, it was abused. They're like, they, I hear this, I hear this day in and day out. And so they, they tell me, you know, he's, he's got an aggressive streak, you know, he goes after other dogs and this and that. And I think he was abused. I'm like, well, what makes you think if, you know, he was raised by somebody who was abusive, he would just automatically go fight with other dogs, you know? It, it, I, I've, I personally have single-handedly raised from, you know, from, from puppies from, you know, six, eight weeks old to, you know, to uh, a full adulthood. I've raised hundreds of dogs, you know, that I've, that I've, you know, I've, I've dealt with over the last, uh, you know, 17, 18 years of, of doing this. And I will say this, overwhelmingly, with very few exceptions, the the reason for their aggression is it's genetically imprinted into their DNA. You know, I always talk about I talk about this in my book the four the four elements um, four elements uh, that make your your dog you know your dog's personality uh, unique, and that's breed, age, history, and imprinted DNA. So breed makes a big difference. We all know there are certain breeds that are that are t- typically more aggressive than others. I mean, I'll get the best best. Uh, Best one I could point out, get, look at the Malinois. The Malinois is a, that is, that dog is not good with strangers. I don't care which way you, which way you, maybe the females are a little better, but typically when you're talking about a male Malinois, those dogs are not good with strangers, okay? And is if that, you have, what's that? Is that, is that why that you see them with police or with military? Because they don't, you know, have that bond, you know what I'm saying, with, with, with more than one, one or two people? Yeah, well, they were also they're they're one of the only dogs in the world left that that's still bred for work to this day. We've 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 eliminated all dogs' jobs. True, know? but the Malinois is pretty much the only working dog left right. that we're still breeding for a specific job. They're not breeding for temperament. They're not breeding to to be a family dog. And so that's why I was I always give the Malinois a perfect example because I think it's a terrible pet. You know, now listen. There are going to be people out there with good Malinois, and they're going to be mm-hmm. listening to this show and be like, "Well, I have a great Malinois." Would you? I always tell them, "Okay, fine. I'm glad you do, but you're the exception, not the norm." Would you say that it's it's safe to put that to, to for every family out there to get a Malinois? No. So that's what I'm saying. So breed is huge. Yeah. Age, age is a huge thing because we all know dogs go through four stages of life. They go through puppy, adolescent, adulthood, and and the senior years. And the personality changes substantially between all four of those of those stages of life, especially from puppy to the adolescent to adult. Puppies are are never aggressive, I and mean, if they are, it's, that's going to be a very aggressive <laughs> adult. But what happens is the magic number is always like nine months to a year. Everyone's always like, "I don't get it." My dog, he was so sweet, and all of a sudden, when he hit like you know a year, he just started you know he was starting attacking everything. This and I was like, "Yeah, that's adolescent." The adolescent period, that's when a kid hits 13 years old. When a, thir- when a kid hits 13 years old, when a human is 13, their body changes. Now they're, they have interest in, uh, you know, in girls or guys, whatever, whatever the case may be. They're, you know, boys are starting to puff their chest up. You know what I'm saying? I'm tough. 13-year-olds are always like that. And, they're, and then they, they go through the teenage years. And then the adult years hit at around, you know, with humans, it's like, you know, they say 18. I think it's more like 30 or 40 for a guy. But um, <laughs> anyway, but it's the same thing with a dog. So the personality changes. And so people, they think they did something wrong. Like, oh, my dog is, is aggressive. I think I screwed up somewhere along the way. I'm like, no. If that dog was, was just naturally turned aggressive at a year, that was already in its genetics. There's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. Now, this is where behavior modification, behavior management training comes in. 
you know, there's things we can, we can, we can try, but it's not a guarantee, you know? And, and like I said, the yeah. last element of the four elements that I wanted to point out was the imprinted DNA. And this is personality traits that, that, you know, that we are, uh, that, that we're all born with. Some of us, you can have a litter of puppies. You could have five puppies and four of them could be very outgoing. One could be shy. Did you train that shy one any differently? Did you do anything different? No, that's imprinted DNA. There are certain personality traits that, that uh, just like we are born with, that animals, that dogs are born with. And people have to understand that there's, there's so little you can do with a lot of these areas. You know, if you, have a, if you have a genetically shy dog, there's not much you can do about it. Now, you can do techniques like counter conditioning. That's very popular in dog trainers. But a lot of it's up to the dog. And did you know? you know that when they're in the womb, if you have a male puppy sandwiched between two females, they will have more estrogen uh, and a female sandwiched between two males will have more testosterone and that can influence their behavior. And there you go. That's the imprinted DNA. Yep. That's what, that's the stuff that we can do Nothing very little about. about. Nothing about. Exactly. People have to understand that dog trainers, we're not, we're not miracle workers. You know, we can only do what, what, you know, we can only deal with the cards we're given. And so if I have a, a wildly aggressive dog and he's prey driven, you know, he's, he's high energy. I can't do anything about the prey drive. I can't do much about the aggression. I can't do anything about the energy. Maybe give, maybe take your dog on a long hike. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But those those are imprinted personality traits that your dog specifically has. And like Joey Villani was saying, that there's a good home for that dog, but it's not going to be a home maybe with cats and small dogs and children. Yeah, there's a lid out there for every jar. You know, I mean, look, I have an aggressive dog. I have a Chihuahua. <laughs> what? She's aggressive. Well, Your Lulu, little girl, Lulu. Believe it or not, Lulu. What? A lot of people don't know this, but she's terrible with kids. Oh, she's terrible wow. with kids. Yeah. And that. listen, I there's not much I'm gonna I'm gonna do about that because I'm if there is something I, I can do about it, I'm the wrong guy for that. You know, I'm not gonna sit there and just smack my dog every time she every time she looks at a kid wrong. You know what I do is when kids come over, I just put her away. I put her in my bedroom. Yeah. yeah. It's so a lot easier. It. Yeah, it's a lot easier doing that than because um, nothing. Nothing irks me more than a trainer trying to prove something. You see this at dog parks all over the all over the country. Trainers, what they do is they say, oh, my dog's aggressive, so I'm going to socialize them at every dog park I can. And you see them bringing these dogs to the dog parks, and it's only a matter of time, and it, it always happens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, they're like, it didn't happen this time, but I promise you it's going to happen. And when it happens, you set that dog up for failure. Your, that is your fault now. That aggression is now not on your dog anymore. You knew your dog was aggressive and you took it to a park and purposely set them up for failure. And so I always, I always tell trainers, you know, the aspiring young trainers, if I can give them any advice, I'm like, listen, don't set your dog up for failure. Understand your dog's flaws and, and you, do, you do proper management skills. You make proper executive decision, decisions on what your, what your dog is and what your, you know, your, your dog's personality traits are. I know that my, my chihuahua, she is aggressive with little kids, with toddlers, um, probably babies. I haven't had her on a baby, but I know she's aggressive with toddlers. And so I would never set her up for failure because I know if I put her in front of a toddler, it's only a matter of time before she bites. And guess whose fault that is? It ain't my chihuahuas. And jo jo <clears throat> Joey has Cairn Terriers and I was going to visit him. And he goes, so I'm just going to tell you, Doc, when you walk in, one of my Cairn Terriers, he's, he's going to want to get a nip just at Just one, him. just That's one. That's it. Just once he gets a nip, 
he just one nip. And I'm like, I'm not getting nipped. Just no, one. I, I was like, no. Put him away. And so they had to put him away. Cause like Simon. That, uh, Simon. Who was that, Don yep. Joey? Simon's still around. Simon. That's right. Simon. Huh. See, everybody has different executive decisions they make with their dogs, I guess. <laughs> this is just what I was talking about. Exactly. Listen, I'm a groom. I'm not a trainer, okay? So I had four, four male rescue Karen Terriers. You know, you, you can only imagine what that was like. <laughs> oh, you had Karen? Four of them. Four, four man, male those, rescues. Man, those things don't listen for anything. Terriers, you know, they're man. tough. Um, they're still, I still think Chihuahuas, you're right. Um, and I love the Chihuahua personality. I really do. I like that little dog syndrome, that tough little dog. I don't know. Yeah, they're feisty. They're, they're feisty. <laughs> Yeah, and Chihuahuas do better. Chihuahuas are better in packs. You know, one Chihuahua alone, you just don't see the real personality. Because when they know they're like they've got like seven deep behind them, they, now you see the Chihuahua because they they form like Voltron and they become <laughs> one one big dog. So they fall into the piranha lake, you know. <laughs> and they ask, do, do you ever get asked why do they shake? People ask me why do Chihuahuas shake, Brandon? You know, they do the shaking and yeah. What well, do you answer that? How do you answer that? Well, obviously, it's, it's genetics because the shaking is very, very typical for the uh, Chihuahua. Mm -hmm. Now, listen, they, they always say a lot of – there's a lot of theories, and this is what I'll, – I'll, I'll say this. I never – I don't – I take very few animal uh, theories with, with you know I, – I take most of them with a grain of salt uh, because – and here's why. is because we all know that uh, animal theories, they change every decade. So um, – People say, oh, Chihuahua gets uh, cold too easy. I'm like, well, well, it's 85 degrees out. It's still shaking. They right. say it's, you know, it's nerves, anxiety. It could be all the above. Or it could be something uh, in the Chihuahua that we just don't know. We haven't studied far enough. As much as we know about a lot of breeds, we don't know that much about them. You know? There could be There could be something in there that could be a, that could be something, uh, I don't know if it's a survival skill. There could be a, a million reasons why the animal shakes. Because I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I mean, my chihuahua shakes um, all the time, and it's 85 degrees out, so she's not cold. I, I know she's not scared. I mean, this is her home, unless I scare her. <laughs> Just randomly shake sometimes, you know. It could be a sense. It could be something they're sensing, you know. I don't have all the answers to that stuff, and I admit that. I'm like, look, when it comes to these theories that we truly don't know the 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 the, the raw answer to, because there's so many there's so many uh, uh, guesses on it. I, I'm just like everybody else out there. I mean, uh, I, you know. You know a lot. All right. Well, thank you again, Brandon. Uh, we're very excited to have you on, and we'll have you back. And please, everybody, uh, check out Brandon. How can people follow you? Uh, my Instagram is um, at Animal Brandon. My Facebook is at Animal Brandon. And my, uh, my Twitter is at uh, Brandon McMillan. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. It's my pleasure. Now, Doc Halligan's Medical Minute. All across the country, pet owners are often faced with bills that total in the thousands of dollars, and you don't want to do the unthinkable, financial euthanasia. What can you do? Research pet insurance. Pet insurance can help offset a huge vet bill. Now here's some tips when you're looking for pet insurance. Make sure that the insurer has been in business for at least a couple of years. Ask your vet and other pet owners for their recommendation. Search the internet for complaints against or praise for the insurance company. 
Make sure the company is licensed in your state. This is a big one. Read policies very carefully for conditions and exclusions before enrolling. Now, if you get new puppy or you have a new kitten, you could consider getting a policy that covers routine care as well as injuries and illness. At the very least, you want to get a policy that could cover catastrophic events. Now, pet insurance could end up literally saving your pet's life. It's worth looking into. That's my Medical Minute.